Welcome to Living Fit with your host, Pam Greshock. That's me, where I believe that we can live fit at any age. Let's get to the conversation. All right, Dr. Carl Nadalski, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you. Um, about a whole bunch of stuff before we just jumped on here recording. I said, there's a million things that I could talk to you about. Um, I followed you for quite some time on social media, um, just to give everybody kind of a background. And you and your brother, mm -hmm. you guys are the docs who lift. So you guys see that yep. under there if you're watching. <laughs> um, so I followed you guys for a while. Then I found out you were here in Michigan as well, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. You both kind of loved muscle and bodybuilding. And that's kind of where I was my background for a long yeah. time. Um, and then I, I started to kind of follow your story about your hip and maybe we can talk oh, about yeah. a little bit later. <laughs> uh, Cause that's something we have in common as well as our, our sad hips that like, <laughs> try to slow us down. Yeah. Um, but before I kind of get into some of the topics um, that I wanted to talk about, uh, I want to kind of talk about you for just a second, if mm -hmm. you don't mind. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So first let's explain kind of what you do. So you're an endocrinologist, yep. um, obesity specialist, mm -hmm. diabetes hormone. So kind of explain what that is and maybe anything else that you kind of want to let, like, let us get to know you first. Yeah, sounds good. So endocrinology is the study of hormones and clinical endocrinologists like I am. We take care of people who have some sort of dysfunctional, you know, hormone issue. And that could be uh, people who have excess hormones of whatever flavor, or maybe they have a hormone deficiency, um, or maybe they even have a tumor or a cancer of one of the glands that has to do with hormones. And hormones are really just chemical messengers in the body that go from one part of the body to pretty much every part of the body, but sometimes very specific areas uh, to get things done, um, to tell those different cells to do something. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, classically, people think about um, our pituitary behind our eyes that comes out of our brain. That's kind of our master gland. And it mm -hmm. makes hormones that stimulate our thyroid hormone or adrenal hormones or adrenal glands, our, our thyroid gland and our adrenal glands to make those hormones. They stimulate your ovaries and my testicles for male and female uh, reproductive sex hormones. Um, the you know, then, like I said, the thyroid and the adrenal glands, our pancreas makes insulin that has to do with glucose metabolism, glucose uptake. Technically, um, we do osteoporosis or other metabolic bone diseases and diseases of uh, calcium regulation. So if you know about the parathyroid glands, the little bitty guys that are in and around the thyroid area, they control our calcium metabolism. And then there's all sorts of other complicated things from there. And then, uh, yeah, my, my little niche is the is obesity and obesity is a very complex disease process. And, um, as you've, you've heard, if you follow me that, uh, has all sorts of different little hormones uh, involved in its uh, regulation of our energy balance and then the risks that come from that, especially like cardiometabolic things, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, very cool. And so, so, and, and a lot of what you talk about is, is obesity as, mm -hmm. as a disease. Um, and I, I do want to talk about that some because, yeah. um, you know, I think that's a big misconception, especially in my kind of wellness and fitness space. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're, you are doing a great job and your brother is doing a great job at kind of debunking that and, and really um, helping to educate properly um, on that and kind of, you know, getting rid of some of the myths. Um, you know, sur surrounding that um, obesity 
as, as a disease. Yeah. Um, so, so you do those things. Those are your specialties and you do the podcast and you, well, I think you show up on the podcast. Your brother actually does most of it, right? <laughs> he, he does all the tech stuff. I'm, I, I, your co-host. co-host. I co-host it with him. There was no way I would ever do a podcast on my own because uh, I would screw up the technicalities of it for sure. It's, it's, <laughs> he, it's as long as he curve. wants to do that stuff, I'm in on it. Whatever. It's a learning curve for sure. Well, we yeah. we all certainly appreciate um, all the information <laughs> that you guys do because I do know that it's very time consuming um, to do those types of things. Um, but I wanted to talk about uh, really quickly too is is kind of like what kind of got you into obesity medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from you know, I've heard your story. Um, some yeah. of my listeners may or may not have heard your story. Um, kind of how you how you grew up and and you were really always an athlete you know, mm-hmm. at heart, and then something got you into obesity medicine, which is not as common, um, again, coming from the fitness and athletic space, uh, yeah. because it's talked about much different. So kind of what what took you there? Yeah. Was there any pivotal moment or? Yeah. So like you said, the background was, you know, I grew up heavy into athletics. Um, my parents were teachers, so we were very academic. My dad uh, was our coach. He was a science teacher. So we were real into the biology and human physiology and all that stuff. And then I went on to Michigan State where I wrestled and and I majored in uh, kinesiology, kind of exercise physiology, included a lot of nutrition, got into the nutrition aspect because of both the science and the athletic performance part and fitness and body composition. And so that's when I really started to get into it. And then my brother was kind of following along in, in my footsteps in those regards. And then actually, uh, my mom's younger sister is a cardiologist, and we were visiting her and telling her about our interests in in body fat, uh, composition, health, et cetera, talking about insulin. And and she said, well, yeah, you should probably go be an endocrinologist then. And I thought, oh, okay, I didn't even know what that was. And then in (laughs) medical school... You know, you go you go through all the different things in the first part of medical school and and we go through the different sections, the different kind of specialties and what it has to do with and all the the complex endocrine hormone stuff. A lot of what we call negative feedback loops where one part of the body says to do something, then that helps shut down the other part of the body kind of um, and it didn't make sense to everybody. And so it's like, okay, well, that kind of fits in. Yeah. And then that sort of, you know, developed into my passion for helping uh type two diabetes, in addition to, you know, already kind of being uh, passionate about helping people with body composition issues or obesity. And, and then it really started to tie all together when I had some mentors who were a little bit more into the science of it. When I did internal medicine residency at uh, the Portsmouth Naval Hospital, uh, like Norfolk, Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a, an intensivist, an ICU doctor who, you know, always talked about how obesity was driving so much of the disease that would end up getting people into the ICU. And he oh. was talking about, Hey, we got to find a way to help people treat this. And it's, it's a diff, it's different than what people think. And, yeah. and so then that got me a little bit more into the science of it. And uh, you know, and then, so then Spencer and I started looking into it and there wasn't a lot in the obesity specialization space. There were some things out there, you know, some kind of, you know, a little bit of quackery clinics out there mm-hmm. and, you know, phenamine factories. That's, that was like the only, real medicine at the time that that really kind of worked and people just kind of gave everyone phenamine appetite suppressant and um and that just got our interest into some of the developing research it's really kind of fledgling specialty a lot of the science is not 
old compared to a lot of other disease states that we have. You know, we're we're always learning more about everything, right? But obesity science was really pretty new. You know, if you look into the, you know, the discovery of leptin, you know, the hormone that comes from our fat cells and communicates with the area in our brain that regulates our energy balance and all that stuff, that's relatively new stuff. And then just more and more and more comes out. And then, you know, all the genetics that have been discovered that drive our appetite and cravings and energy intake and metabolism and, you know, and then suddenly everything blew up and everyone was all like kind of debating all these different things. But we were um, already sucked into the real science and, um, you know, the health issues with it. Um, and then in fellowship uh, at, for endocrinology at Walter Reed Bethesda, I had already gotten board certified uh, by the American Board of Obesity Medicine. So I was already kind of into that stuff. And then some of the the nationally well-known endocrinologists who were obesity experts sort of took me under their wing and got me involved on a national level um, in some of these expert uh, guidelines and stuff like that. And and that kind of got me here, I guess. So that's, that's yeah. a little bit of that background story. Awesome. Yeah, I think everybody kind of has their moment. So it was your aunt and then um, you got into and then that ICU mm-hmm. doctor yeah. kind of planted those seeds. So so that's pretty cool. And it, it does kind of it was kind of almost speaking your language at that point. Yeah. Um, and ag- again, I think that the the time that we're in and the time that, uh, you know, you and your your brother both kind of are in that Internet space, um, it's it's good to and good to see both of you again kind of debunking things <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's you guys have you you have good reason to be behind that and kind of debunk some of those things yeah. so like you said obesity itself is kind of just being studied really we're kind of understanding your understanding and bringing yeah. it to us a little bit better and kind of from a prevention standpoint and a mm-hmm. genetic standpoint um and all of those things and and like you also talked about too was the basics of your endocrinology mm-hmm. is the hormones and <laughs> That's a big, that's a big buzzword here. Yeah, in people Florida. love hormones. Yeah, they love it. And in fact, I I asked all, I, I sent out a couple emails um, and asked my, I have, I, I run online workout groups mm-hmm. um, as well, and then kind of in person. So this is a great time, and almost all of them were about hormones. And because that's I think right. there's so much, um, first of all, there's division, which I yeah. think is unnecessary. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and there's there's division within you know even physicians, but there's there's a lot of division from the wellness space to the actual you know physician space. Which mm-hmm. again, I I think we're in agreement um, with that that I don't I don't think that there should be, but there is. Right. Um, right. But there's so many buzzwords around, so so I get a lot of questions. I'm gonna I have like pages of them. Go for um, it. And, it. and it's all and I'm going to basically what are our thyroid numbers supposed to be and <laughs> what should we get checked? And, and I am yeah. guilty of doing some of these things too. I, let me, let me, I have access to all of these functional medicine labs that you guys mm-hmm. kind of talk about and it, oh, yeah. and you just for time sensitive purposes, you guys just did a podcast on this. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to talk about that in a second, yeah. but I have access to all of those, but it's, it's so misleading and yeah. they're like, get your T3 and T4 and TSH. Right. And, and then they're like HPA access and, and, and it's, <laughs> You know, and and we're like, right. what do you even, you know, so so right. there's all these questions around those things within the conversations. And I basically, you can kind of talk about that. I know you'll have a lot to say, um, but that's kind of what the questions were like. Some that what right. actually matters? Where well, so, start? yeah. So first of all, what are we looking for? 
right? right. So the thyroid, it may, you know, the thyroid stimulating hormone, like I talked about from the pituitary gets, mm-hmm. uh, is regulated by something called thyrotropin releasing hormone from the hypothalamus. And this gets into the classic feedback loop that I, that I mentioned earlier. And that thyroid stimulating hormone goes to our thyroid cells and our, our thyroid. And it, and it really makes mostly T4 and it makes a little bit of T3. And then we have mm-hmm. things called deiodinases around our body in different parts of our body that convert the T4 to T3 sort of as needed as the body needs. And T3 is the active hormone. So I tell patients that's what gets in the, in the nuclei of our cells and gets things churning and burning. It's our heat metabolism hormone for all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but but we can have autoimmune disease, surgeries, infiltrative disease, rare things. Um, we need iodine for our thyroid. So there are endemic areas of the world that don't have enough iodine. That's why we put iodine in our salt. So we so we should not have that problem in the United States. Yeah. Um, if you ever heard of like endemic goiters where there's not enough iodine and, and the thyroid gets big because it's trying to keep up with it. These are all mm-hmm. causes of, of hypothyroidism, which most people are generally looking for when they talk about thyroid, right? And that's, and, and that's to, to, to explain that's uh-huh. like when, when your you thyroid hormone, it, when your thyroid, what, let's say that again. So when you have trouble losing, losing weight if you, well, uh, not necessarily most. So hypothyroidism, this is a common misconception. Mm-hmm. It's not, it certainly doesn't help people and it might, and we certainly look for it when people are gaining weight for no good reason. It's not a very significant cause of real obesity though. Hypothyroidism is it? Okay, yeah, there are a lot of other specific, you know, symptoms, and so, but when when the thyroid itself is not working for whatever reason, the TSH is the most sensitive marker of it, and it'll go up as long as you don't have hypothalamic pituitary disease, like tumors or or surgeries or something else going on up there, and so that's where that's why the old well doctors only check a TSH, well because that's the best marker. And Mm -hmm. that's what the data clearly show. And people don't realize that our lab assays are a lot more complex and imperfect than they want to think. Right. And so and then these these labs have to be validated and correspond to disease states. And what is Mm -hmm. normal? What is exactly normal? What's the bell shaped curve of normal? And what happens if you're just outside of that normal? And um, and where does it start to correlate with an actual disease problem? And so. in the United States, the, by far the most common cause of primary, meaning the thyroid itself, uh, hypothyroidism, is Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune cause of thyroid disease, of, of yeah. hypothyroidism. And so as the thyroid starts to um, not function well, the thyroid stimulating hormone starts to go up. And so we often will find people with what we call subclinical hypothyroidism, where if you do check, that, say, the T4 um, or the T3, and the TSH is a little bit up, but those other levels are normal, which, you know, yeah, the, the wellness people might say, oh, you got to check all these things. <laughs> well, they're normal. If you, the TSH is up. It's more sensitive. And that person might have subclinical hypothyroidism. And then it's like, OK, well, why? Well, first of all, you always recheck it because all sorts of things can affect um, are these lab assays. One, you could be sick. You could be recovering from an, Ill, from an illness that affects all these different levels of hormones. And that's yeah, the way it's point. supposed to happen physiologically. And so you recheck it. A lot of times they end up just normalizing. But if mm-hmm. they truly do have a little bit of, even if it's subclinical or true overt hypothyroidism where the TSH is higher and the T4 is low, um, then they almost certainly in the United States have Hashimoto's unless there's mm-hmm. some other reason to think something else happened. They had radiation to their thyroid or, you know, they yeah. decided to go on a no 
iodine vegan diet, which I've seen a couple times. Um, or if they no iodine you know, vegan diet, that's the thing. Really? According to my <laughs> the patients who actually had iodine deficiency that they shouldn't have <laughs> wow. here in the United yeah. States, and um, and so then we decide, okay, so at what point do you need treatment? Well, if they came in with symptoms that are very specifically thyroid related, mm -hmm. um, and it's not just fatigue, because think about all the millions of things that can cause fatigue. Oh, gosh, and yeah. that's actually what our, our podcast recently was about. It was about a guy who, you know, came in for fatigue. And that is that requires a, a pretty holistic evaluation. But there's yeah. certain things that need to be checked first. Pretty much thyroid's going to get checked. Um, yeah. But anyways, it wasn't his thyroid. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, but, but, you know, cold intolerance, dry skin, brittle hair, maybe some hair loss. There's all sorts of other things. Uh, reduced uh, bowel movement frequency, maybe weight gain a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. um, not, not a driving cause of obesity per se, but yeah, a mm -hmm. little bit of weight gain or trouble losing weight. We're going to check it. Um, and, uh, and if you have those symptoms, yeah, you're going to get treated, whether it's just a supplemental dose or, you know, or really a full replacement dose of, of thyroid hormone. If the TSH starts getting into like the six to nine realm, mm -hmm. um, there are probably, even if you're asymptomatic at that point, but it's definitively sort of a subclinical hypothyroidism, there are probably uh, long-term benefits to being optimized a little bit more. The TSH doesn't have to be one or two or three necessarily for the health yeah. benefits. We, we generally say that, like our goals are, depending on what guideline you look at, you know, might be, depends on the person though, you know, 0.2 to, you know, two and a half for like a young adult female of reproductive age, you know, up to three for most people of young adulthood, four really is probably fine. Actually, that's part of kind of the other end of that bell curve because everyone's yeah. different, right? Sure. Um, but, uh, and then if you, if the TSH is over 10, I mean, definitively it's beneficial to treat, like absolutely, if you look at all the data. Yeah. And so, so, so but everyone's different. And, mm -hmm. and, and then if, if it's really like a gray zone and you really don't know what's going on, it's a little subclinical, you know, we'll, we check, we, we certainly check a lot of like, antibodies for the Hashimoto's to confirm it's Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. Some people don't have the antibodies, but we can tell on an ultrasound if we do that. People shouldn't just go get their uh, thyroids ultrasounded though, please. Yeah. Um, that, then, then we end up getting false positives of different things, but, um, but, but we, we can look at that and, and tell um, if they have kind of a Hashimoto's. And that's only if you, like you said, if, if you deem that that's necessary step yeah. for the ultrasound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah. But there are other reasons why people get their thyroid screened. I mean, that some people would argue based on the statistics that maybe most females should just get their thyroid screened every once in a while. Some would argue that every single person who becomes pregnant should get their thyroid screened because thyroid hormone is very important in pregnancy. And that's yeah. why we do historically have some more intensive goals. Like we're a little bit more anal about it, making sure, you know, we check it every uh, four weeks. Mm -hmm. Historically, in the first trimester, we say the TSH should be between 0.2 and, and two and a half. It turns out that maybe that's not so much the case in, in some of the bigger randomized trials. Maybe it doesn't matter as much as we thought. If they definitely have Hashimoto's, we tend to be a little bit more um, anal about that too. During um, pregnancy, you're saying? Yeah, during pregnancy, yeah. yes. So, mm -hmm. And that's why we talk about young adult uh, reproductive age females. Yeah. Um, but then there are those, you know, when you hear about the T3 and stuff, there there may be, you know, 15 to 20% of people who those deiodinases I talked about, when they're on treatment with the T4, so levothyroxine, bioidentical T4 that everyone says, you know, is, is kind of the most common prescription around, right? Mm -hmm. Most, by far, most people do fine. If you get it right, you, you get them to their personalized T3 
TSH goal that's about right for them, but also safe, by the way, without overdoing it. We don't want to get the TSH too low because that means the brain is basically telling you you're getting too much thyroid hormone and that's too that's not good for your for your bones risk of heart rhythm issues, et cetera. And those issues get more important as we age, by the way, right? Especially yeah. like after menopause and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. but some people who are on treatment with just T4 monotherapy, they just don't feel right, right? Yeah. And, and there may be a little bit more to it. You know, people with autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's may have other things going on. They're at risk of other autoimmune diseases. But let's just say they have no other issues. Everything's been evaluated. They've had a truly holistic evaluation, not, mm-hmm. not a BS use of the term. And, uh, you know, their TSH is one. They're on whatever dose of the levothyroxine, the T4. And there's really nothing else going on, but they have some of those symptoms of hypothyroidism. There may be the people who might benefit from a little bit of T3 supplementation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the studies, it's, they're real vague. So if you look at all the studies together, it doesn't look like there's much difference. But when you start doing sub-analyses of these studies, it's like people tend to favor it a little bit more for kind of unclear reasons. They just do. Um, yeah. They might have a little bit better weight, not a ton, not like in the realms of obesity that we talk about, but a little bit better weight. Um and, uh, and that stuff might matter. And so if it's safe, a young adult person with, with low risk of the side effects, we do a, f- a fair amount of, um, I prefer to give a little bit of bioidentical T3. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer not to use desiccated uh, porcine thyroid that is really popular in the alternative wellness world for some reason. I think just because it's it has a good marketing ploy. It's it's yeah. natural, but it's from mm-hmm. a pig. It has different yeah. ratios of T4, T3, even the other uh, thyroid mm-hmm. numbers that don't really matter, by the way. Um, yeah. And and people often have issues with that because they get too much of the T3. They get these thyrotoxic symptoms. It might not be great for them. It, it, it has less regulation, less uh, consistency. So I usually can convince people to stick with the bioidentical stuff um, because we we can be much more precise and personalized that way. Yeah. And, and you're obviously there under a doctor's care and, yeah. uh, and there, and so you bring up, so, so I hear, I hear a couple of things in that, in that conversation there um, that you treat each person as mm-hmm. an individual. Yeah. You take into account all of, all of them as a whole, as a person, mm-hmm. their lifestyle, maybe some genetics, um, their age, <laughs> is a big, yeah. is a big thing. You know, yeah. I, unfortunately, we <laughs> can't prevent that. I know. I, that's why I tell every patient and they're like, ah, maybe it's just my age. I'm like, I don't buy that. We'll, we'll, I'm not going to blame anything on age. Cause we all seem to get, be getting older, which yeah, drives me exactly. crazy, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you do take all those things into consideration yeah. and then you bring up holistic. So mm-hmm. I, I love that, you know, you use that term, um, and, in, in the proper way. And again, mm-hmm. there's, there's that division there where, you know, a lot of the, the functional medicine world and wellness yeah. space will often, you know, say, well, don't go to a, a physician right. because physician, they'll yeah. never find the, the root cause. Right. And, and that's just, you know, that's one of those buzzwords too. Yeah. And, and, and it honestly shouldn't be a buzzword. So there's holistic and root cause that they kind right. of stir around and you're like, no, listen, yeah. like they, we they, actually go to the yeah. root cause. This is the process that it yeah. actually takes. Yeah. And 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 the problem is our healthcare system globally in the United States, we've got everyone knows 
It's dysfunctional, yeah. right? We've got yeah. issues. It's the system more than like, you know, physicians and nurses and, and healthcare professionals. And so unfortunately, those people have taken those terms and misrepresented them and used them as marketing to create division because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it every mainstream medical school residency training program talks about holistic medicine, getting to the root cause, treating the whole person. But then yeah. they take those and say, oh, main, you know, mainstream, oh, that's come see us, pay us all your money and we'll do all this other stuff. And yeah, th- definitely listen to our, our po- podcast. Mm-hmm. And this, this poor guy went to a wellness clinic and they just did a hundred different unnecessary tests with all sorts of bad, you know, costs. Luckily, they didn't get any major false positives because that's what happens. If you just order tests without having a clinical consideration for what the heck you're looking for and pre-test probability we talk about on the podcast, Mm -hmm. then you're going to get false positives, false negatives, false sense of security. You might end up having more cost going down more rabbit holes. And ultimately what they did was they, they didn't address the person's anemia, which is absolutely always going to be looked for when people are fatigued. And then there can be some really bad things that cause anemia of unclear origin and they Mm -hmm. didn't address it. So they didn't get to the root cause, but they did tons of unnecessary things and then recommended a bunch of completely unnecessary drugs and supplements and all sorts of stuff that would cost the person several thousands of dollars. And then the person might die of colon cancer or something. Yeah. And not even really know if something did work, not even know what was working. Because they did that, and you brought. I, I did listen to that episode, uh, and that's kind of. And, and again, I'm in total agreement with all of that because I see it firsthand. And some, mm-hmm. but I am kind of working hands on with with patients and with personal training clients and wellness clients and all of that. Yeah. Um, however, I listened to that episode, and it made me think. And this is a little bit personal. Uh, it made me think about my sister. She just got diagnosed mm-hmm. with colon cancer. They oh. got it all. Praise oh, God. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. However, her main symptom was anemia. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And and had I been that sister, because she does look to me for a lot of um, uh-huh. you know advice and, and things like that, whether she likes to admit it or not. Yeah. <laughs> She's my older sister. <laughs> um, had I had said, you know, oh, you know, don't go to the doctor, don't mm-hmm. eat, eat, you know, just just take this iron or eat Cheerios, they're fortified, or you know, it's your iron, your iron. Um, they would have missed that. And honest, honest yeah. to God, she would have died. Oh, um, and yeah, so that's it scary. Me, it made me think yeah. about that because there's a, a bunch of people that that think like that, and there's a, a mm-hmm. lot of you know, and and they mean well. They want to help people. Yeah. Most of them do. Yeah, and I in think their so. minds. They think, you know, that that's maybe a better route. But I, I just thought about that. And I'm like, man, if she would have she would have not gone to the doctor, her they gave her iron and it, you know, it it really set things off. And that's when she was rushed to the hospital. And they found that, uh, you know, the mass yeah. and, and all wow. of those things. Um, and I'm just like, wow, you know, fatigue was her main symptom. Yeah. And it was from <laughs> you know, and wow, this is this is a out. great step off from that podcast. I, that's yes. I, I'm I'm so sorry to hear that, but um, but so really she, glad she got she caught. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's great. I mean, that's that's how it's supposed to work. And we get worried about these things being missed. And you know, from the thyroid uh, world that I live in, there mm-hmm. are definitely people who you know, thyroid cancer is one that that we take care of in endocrinology. And um, I'll tell you, most thyroid cancers are not really that concerning. The pendulum has swung. The data show that, um, it, you know, most of them are by far not a big deal. And we okay. take care of them. We try to do as little as we have to nowadays to take care of them. But some are very dangerous. And there have been stories in um, 
you know, that I've experienced with some patients or my colleagues where people, they didn't want to do what was recommended. And a lot of times it might just be taking half your thyroid out. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, they went to some alternative practitioner who, who knows what it was, right? It wasn't even a functional physician or something, who knows what it was, but they tried all these other things and, and now it's spread and then yeah. it was too late. And it's, yeah. and thyroid shouldn't even be that big of a deal for most thyroid. There are some rare, uh, severe thyroid cancers, of course, but, um, Sure. Anyways, and and yeah. it gets to, and that's, I think where it really gets to be that dangerous point. And, um, my best friend and I are, are really, and we always talk about this kind of stuff and we both come from a competitive bodybuilding world and we're kind of in the wellness space and we're both kind of on the same, on the same page with that. And it's like our pet peeve and it does drive us crazy because we're in this space and we of course mean well. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think, and this is another thing that we can, yeah, you and I can kind of merge into and talk about real quickly for a second. Um, is is of course my dream is to be able to work with physicians and be that next yeah. step down um mm -hmm. for for doctors even even the the cardiologists that i work for you know i i see them only get a few minutes with patients and luckily yeah. we have a cardiac rehab that they can refer to however mm -hmm. they have to have certain diagnosis in order to be there it's not preventative you know it's not covered right. by insurance for prevention right. Right. um you know how but i think that you know that would be like the, the, the next step. And that's always, mm -hmm. of course, a dream to be able to do yeah. that at some point. So you also kind of talk about that and bringing mm -hmm. a kind of gym almost setting or a yeah. kind of wellness center yeah. into an office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think, and this is another thing that's discussed in mainstream medicine. Everybody wants to have these multidisciplinary teams. It's, mm -hmm. if you look at in, you know, quote unquote mainstream guidelines, right. And, and all these things that we look at, because the evidence is there every time it's studied, that stuff is good. And yeah, mm -hmm. our system isn't good enough to let, you know, doctors can't do everything. And people say, right. well, doctors don't know nutrition. Well, yeah. yeah, some of us happen to have a specialty in it, but yeah, that's, that's not necessarily what you want your doctor to be an expert in. You, you maybe you go see an oncologist and yeah. you want that doctor to know the cancer diagnosis and treatment, exactly. right? You want that doctor to be the expert in that field. We need to do better collaboration with our healthcare team members and find a way. Insurance needs to cover more of this stuff. We mm. need, uh, and you know, maybe we're shifting a little bit more that way, but it is so frustrating that we do have a dysfunctional healthcare system. It doesn't mean we don't all want kind of the, a very similar thing though. We all should want holistic, multidisciplinary care. I'm very mm -hmm. lucky that, you know, I've been able to um, be involved in training and some uh, work situations where I have great dietitians who are my diabetes educators. We're going to work on ways to figure out how can we get the exercise component covered? Because that's a hard part to get covered, right? Like, mm -hmm. like you just said, unless they have a reason for physical therapy or physical, uh, you know, like exercise rehab of some sort, a specific diagnosis that gets covered, it doesn't get covered. And we mm -hmm. need everyone to do exercise. I don't care what the ailment is. Everyone needs yeah. some sort of exercise prescription and it's not great coverage. So I spend a little bit of time with every person's kind of doing real basic stuff, seeing what I can give some personal recommendations. And then my dietitians do as much as the dietary stuff and they follow them up and all that stuff, but we got to do yeah. more. And yeah, if we, if we can have all of us in one building and a kitchen and a gym and, and a, yeah. a behavioral health setting where you can talk and actually get paid for doing the work and taking care of people, mm -hmm. that's what we should do. And everyone knows it. It's not yeah. alternative. It is yeah. evidence-based medicine. 
Yeah. And, and, and just to kind of backtrack there too, like, you know, doctors have their, have their space and, mm -hmm. and I hear that too, even from my own patients. Well, my doctor didn't know a lot about nutrition because they'll mm -hmm. see my dietitian. I'm like, well, your doctor's not supposed to actually teach yeah. you about nutrition. He's supposed to yeah. recommend that you do certain things, but that's the dietitian's job. Yeah. She went to school exactly. for that. Yeah. Um, and, we and, know, and you know, we should know something. I think, you know, we do need more nutrition in medical school and everyone's mm -hmm. pushing for that. I think it is happening. Um, mm -hmm. But some of us just happen to have that uh, interest. Right. And then yeah. and then when you specialize, you got to learn certain nutrition things uh, for sure. that whatever specialty in endocrine. Obviously, we do need to know a lot of nutrition. It has to do with, mm -hmm. you know, from obesity, diabetes to, you know, bone health and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a little bit more of that in my specialty. But um, yeah. but yeah, there, you know, <laughs> But to, to have, What's to, good? to be able to have that, to, to recommend and kind of mm -hmm. have that next step, of course, that's, that's all of our yeah. dream. And that's kind of something that you are kind of working on, mm -hmm. um, We're trying. you know, a little bit and, you know, I guess step by step and maybe even if it's not in our lifetime fully, we can set it up for yep. the future. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, obviously that's, that's extremely important. Yeah. You know, um, one thing to speak into this, I know, I know we, we don't have too long to go, but that does actually remind me, you know, how um, also in that world of this division, people say, mm -hmm. oh, we have too much sick care, not a lot, not enough actual like health care or wellness yeah. care. Yeah. That's actually really true. But that's a dis that's a healthcare system dysfunction. It goes back to how physicians we get paid. Because people were a little bit healthier, I think, from a behavioral lifestyle aspect once upon a time, right? Because we now we have the built-in obesity, obesogenic environment. And um, and the, the, it is kind of acute sick care. That's how the whole healthcare system was built upon. Sure. And it's really hard for it to make this transition to a little bit yeah. more of preventive wellness overall care. So I think there, there really is some truth to that. It's just we shouldn't use it as a divisive thing. I think we all yeah. know it and everyone wants that. Yeah, and I think there's some people that that really, really feel strongly to keep that divide because they mm -hmm. just for whatever reason, maybe it's yeah. personal, maybe it's, yeah, you know, something they've unfortunately learned that, money. <laughs> there's money yeah. involved. Well, there's there's money know. because, of course, there's the supplement side of things yeah. like you talked mm -hmm. about. Um, and then there's just sometimes just some built in general distrust now mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. because yeah. of that model that we mm -hmm. just happen to have at this point. Um yeah. You know, and and you say healthcare and sick care and and all of those and all those things because people don't really see you until they're sick, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's how part. it historically was, and um, mm -hmm. and yeah, so we have to shift that, and and we are. I mean, that everyone says it, everyone talks about it. It's a big deal in in healthcare, but apparently easier said than done. <laughs> we have, yeah. there are a lot of factors at play, and we could blame a lot of different groups, but you know, we won't get into that. <laughs> There's yeah, politics and, and, and government and business and, you know, pharma and, uh, you know, sure. everybody's, everybody's to blame to some degree. Yeah. And I think that if we spend a lot of time and energy on that, then, you know, we miss the point mm -hmm. um, of actually moving forward, you know, in our one little town or one little building, mm -hmm. you know, at a time and kind yeah. of be able to make somewhat of a wave. Um, you know, my, my program is covered, um, most in Michigan, it's, it's extremely hard to get things covered. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my biggest hurdle. Um, but my, my program for the intensive cardiac rehab, you know, cause we have, it's obviously more a wellness kind of space, um, is that program is covered preventatively in Hawaii by hmm. Medicare. Wow. And yeah. in Hawaii only. So it's a start. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not interesting. 
Yeah. And, yeah. and they don't have to have, and they just have to have simple, not simple because it's never great, but they have some risk factors, yeah. um, meaning they, they don't even have to have obesity, but they, you know, they can have a few different risk factors yeah. mm -hmm. um, combined. And then that is actually a covered program and our, yeah. our program and something like what you do, you know, um, in what you're talking about is obviously could do wonders for oh, yeah. a lot of people and educate yep. not only I've heard you talk about, you know, couples of parents yeah. and they can educate their children. Yeah. Yeah. Family based mm -hmm. team based stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's obviously a dream. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to talk real briefly um, about um, your, you kind of, you guys kind of uh, have the term exercise is medicine, yeah. Um, which is one of the things that really made me really intrigued and follow you guys right away. Um, because before I knew that I felt like that, I felt like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've, you know, I, I have genetically not that great, but I've always just loved exercise and I always knew there was a better way. Um, and so exercise is medicine. I'm like, yes. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk about that real quickly. So there's some yeah. basic, um, there's some basic general guidelines of minutes and, and all of those mm -hmm. things for exercise. Um, but maybe take it one step further for you yeah. personally, um, and, and your, your brother, but I hear you talk about it a little bit more is kind of, you know, lifting weights and mm -hmm. the importance of that. And even at a young age, um, yeah. cause you have, two young ones. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't think they miss, they miss the gym at all. Cause you, I think you kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's talk about that real quick exercise medicine, kind of what the general recommendations are, and then maybe take it a step further in, in how you feel about like muscle in general and how that can, that can help because that's, yeah. that's speaking my language. Um, because I'm always like, let's not focus on fat loss. Let's focus on muscle gain. Sure. Um, exactly. And that, yeah. And that yeah. does come to play some of the stuff we're going to talk about now that we do have therapies to help people lose a lot of weight, but you know, mm -hmm. exercise and physical activity, of course, in general, doesn't have to be mm -hmm. hard exercise. And yeah, you'll see the guidelines of, you know, moderate, uh, exercise intensity, aerobic exercise, 150 minutes than that for for weight maintenance kind of thing um but that's mm -hmm. for for fitness or 75 minutes a week of like vigorous more intense exercise one a lot of my patients cannot and won't be able to do that by the way i would love yes. for them to be able to do that so you know again we're kind of coming back to that sick care concept but mm -hmm. preventive medicine for sure we want everyone to do that and then weight training, yeah, you'll see, you know, a few different things, but, you know, two to three times a week per muscle group, very basic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And because we have, those are, those guidelines are really based upon all sorts of data for uh, obesity prevention, obesity treatment, cardiometabolic health, cardiovascular health, and that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of where it's been situated. And then, you know, you can split hairs for all the studies that I've ever done and say, well, you can actually do too much, you know, the ultra marathoners that get heart rhythm issues or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly it's, you know, exercise is great preventive medicine for mm -hmm. uh, obesity and obesity related disease, no matter what your weight is, you know, yeah. um, and start you slow, a, like you said. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so most of my patients, they, um, they don't, a lot of them don't exercise, but yeah. so we talk about finding ways to get that non-exercise physical activity, just walking around, moving around more. And that's even made it into the mainstream guidelines, by the way, if you look at the um, American Diabetes Association, mm -hmm. um, yeah, neat, exactly. American <laughs> Diabetes Association uh, <laughs> standards of care. Mm -hmm. They talk about breaking up your sedentary time because we have studies showing the benefit. Not, mm -hmm. and, and that's literally for like glycemic control and people with diabetes. 
Um, yeah. So reducing sedentary time, a little bit more non-exercise physical activity, and then aerobic physical activity. And, and you got to start somewhere. You got to find something people, somebody can do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it has to fit their personal preferences. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. So all the times sure. it's just going for walks, but some people can't go for walks. Their knees are bad. Their back is bad. And so we got to find other ways. And then, you know, resistance training is, I just think it's so important. We got to build mm-hmm. more muscle. Muscle is metabolically healthy. Every study ever done shows that more muscle is good. And mm-hmm. this goes from cardiometabolic health to physical functional health. Even arthritis issues sure didn't help me with my bad hips, but um, that's a totally different issue. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, you know, it, it, maybe it supports me once I get my hips, re- my other hip replaced, I guess now. <laughs> um, and, and when we talk about, uh, you know, obesity treatment now, you're right that aerobic activity probably wins as far as, you know, head to head weight loss. In fact, uh, yeah, my brother just did a fun debate with uh Dr. John Jakisic, who's a what, like the well-known uh, exercise guru from the United States at the Obesity Society, but they both, the, you know, the data obviously agree that for pure fat loss, aerobic activity is going to do better. But exercise in general isn't great for weight loss. You, you got to combine it with the nutrition aspects, and then that's hard because obesity kind of fights against people and makes it hard mm-hmm. to eat well. So exercise it really should be more focused on the health and resistance training is important when you do significant energy restriction and maybe use medication or surgery for weight loss, because if you lose weight, you're going to lose muscle and we want to retain as much muscle as possible. So, you know, we're really kind of shifting that paradigm to not only including resistance training, but really making it a priority if we're doing intensive weight loss uh, efforts um, because we want people to be functional. We want people to be metabolically healthy and uh, and we got to keep as much muscle as we can. And resistance training is is really the key for that. And yeah, yeah. exercise is medicine for for so many different ailments. I think yeah. um, you know we we did a a MedPage Today series on uh, the guidelines. How because everyone says oh nobody recommends exercise, and it's like no, they're literally the foundation or first line in every single relevant medical guideline that you could ever find. Um, yeah because it's so important for everything from pulmonary disease to cardiac disease, to obesity, diabetes, uh, arthritis, you know, anything you can think of almost if it has anything to do with it. So, yeah, unfortunately you guys don't have enough time with patients to explain all of it. And then they just say exercise and then people that don't know or are discouraged. And that's why we need coverage for exercise people. I mean, I love to try to give them some exercise plan, but you're right. I don't even have time for that. I, I come up with a few little nuggets and I might have a little bit better background to do that than a lot of doctors yeah. for, for and people, you hope but, that they uh, yeah. yeah you hope that they will stick to it at, to yep. some extent because that's that's the other thing is you know is the compliance and yeah. of them to you know and we could get into this and again I'm going to have you back on because yeah. there's so many we'll things to, <laughs> we can talk we'll, about we'll have to do many um, more yeah but people people often they just forget what it feels like to feel good so they don't yeah. even know what they're really going mm-hmm. for because they're so used to living in pain yeah. or you know or what have you and so they you know that's that's so you don't have the mm-hmm. time to follow up with right. them all the time yeah to make sure that they're that they're doing and I, it. and I just okay. emphasize it's about the health it's about those benefits and we got to find a way to personalize it so that they can do it because they all have barriers absolutely yeah yeah. And, and, you know, and likes and dislikes and, yep. and all of those things, exactly. just like you said. Yeah. Um, so to wrap that up, you, you, you say that muscle is good. 
Awesome. And it's not what people think. It's, you know, and people that are listening to this, obviously, most of them know my background and you have a very similar background as far as, you know, athletics and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff and, and building muscle. But it's, it's not like that. It is um, purely for health and, yeah. and bone health. So not yep. everybody, you know, has yeah. to want to lift weights yeah. to look a certain way, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Forget <laughs> um, about appearance. I mean, I, yeah, I'm vain. Yeah. You might be vain. We're all vain a mm-hmm. little bit and it's you know yeah. important for, for mental health, but, um, but really it's what's on the inside that counts. And, and we got, yeah. And it strengthens your bones and people, very people important. forget yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's another big one when for my patients with osteoporosis and bone disease, very important to do resistance training, weight bearing mm-hmm. exercise, we call it. So. Yeah. And, and I'll, I guess I'll, I guess I'll end on this because again, I could okay. go so many, there's so much <laughs> I could talk about. Um, at what age should kids oh. start lifting? So, yeah, I would, you know, we, we were letting my baby do pull-ups, mm-hmm. you know, supporting, supporting and just kind of going through the motions. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, as long as you can do it safely mm-hmm. uh, and help the person uh, learn how to do it, all, probably almost any age, uh, people mm-hmm. say, well, what about weight? you know, uh, uh, what do you call Stunting it? Your yeah. Well, it's not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing. I'm yeah. short because I'm short. My brother's tall because he's <laughs> tall and, and that's the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. it's not going to stunt your growth. You don't want to get hurt, but you can actually, you, you know, resistance training, you can use a lot lighter weight than what your body weight is. So people think, Oh, mm-hmm. you have to do body weight exercises. Well, that's actually not true. Some people can't do their body weight, right? Yeah, and this goes for true. the very the youngest of the young to the oldest of the old. So actually starting with it doesn't have to be free weights either machines, but it has to fit them. Right. And they have to not be able to get hurt. So sure. really there's, there's no, I mean, they just got to be able to do it. So yeah. I mean, a baby can't do it. Right. I mean, like yeah. you said, we, we put, we, you know, we put the babies on the pull-up bar and let them do some pull-ups for fun and we lift them up. But um, yeah. So any, any age really, really. Yeah, absolutely. Make they got to make sure it's safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't, yeah. you don't, they don't, yeah. have, nobody needs to push. Nobody needs to learn how to max out. They got to learn how to do it and, and move their muscles. And find a love for it. Yeah. Um, and and you know, know that it's healthy. I, I, I beg the kids to understand that it's not just for their sports mm-hmm. and their big muscles. It's it's for their health long term. Yeah. And and so. you're kind of setting them up. I've read studies yeah. about that kind of the the, the sooner that they start, the yep. better, obviously. And it's kind of an obvious thing. But, you know, and, and the, the better health yeah. outcomes, even if they mm-hmm. stop for a while as an adult, they're still going to have that kind of that background. Yeah, and that absolutely. Prevention. Boy, if we mm-hmm. could do primordial and, pre- and primary prevention, boy, we'd be in a lot better shape. So literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, um, before we get off here, my son, um, he didn't walk until he was 18 months old or oh, so. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have a lot of other little kids around him, yeah. you know, but we own a CrossFit gym. And um, he was on the rings. So he oh, could. Yeah. Actually, oh, that's why he's so good at gymnastics. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so that's, that's why he could hold himself up for yeah. a long time on a awesome. ring before he could walk. And I always that's share cool. that story. And I'm like, well, yeah. you know, I, I, we're. I, we're pretty humble with it with like if he will go in and do kind of gymnastics stuff mm-hmm. and and but it was that they were they were just so comfortable hanging around like hanging on the yeah. he just wanted to hang Great. and he was got so much upper body strength yeah from being little and then then i entered him in gymnastics so he could see other kids walk and he picked up yeah. real quick um but you know it's like he like that we just kind of put him on the ring yeah. and so it's, it's a fun it's a fun thing although he's not he's not competing in gymnastics mm-hmm. this year because he didn't want to but yeah, he's so yeah, good at it i know um yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Tra- Trey's got, yeah, my son's get kind of burned out from wrestling right now. So he's, we've really pulled back from competition, but he is, he's really good. And it's like, oh, come on, man, uh, whatever. It's, you don't have to compete. It's hard. It's fine. No big yeah. deal. 
And like you, you know, said, like you said, have them find something that's fun for yep. them, have them, you know, and, and this, and that's kind of what I wanted to bring to my listeners is that it's, it's safe for them. Yeah, um, it's, absolutely. it's safe for them to start. Yeah, just and, make it safe. Don't let them do, like go do some, some big barbells or something. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Little bitty bitty barbells <laughs> that you hold on to. Yeah. Right. Or get, they, they actually have, if you didn't want to get your kids barbells, they want to copy mom and dad. They have the really light rogue bars. Oh, we have those. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, kids. I mean, we've, oh, yeah, we do mm-hmm. tons of that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, awesome. Um, Dr. Carl Nadalski, thank you so much. So I'm going to link up everything here where they can cool. find you, but if you want to tell them where you're at, you can tell them. Yeah. Well, you can uh, find, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, I guess I do a little bit of that uh, at Dr. Carl Nadolsky. And of course, our Docs Who Lift podcast, you can go to Anchor or really any any podcast thing that has our Docs Who Lift <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. On, so. And you're you're on Apple, yeah. too. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'll I'll put all that stuff up for you. Cool. Um, thank you so much again for Thanks. the time. Um, yeah, again, we'll, we'll I do it again. Yes, I can't wait to have you on again because I have so many more things to talk about. Um, I appreciate your your expertise, um, and I hope that everybody starts to follow you as well. Thanks, you too. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much. Um, Don't forget to like, subscribe, and all the things.